So anyway, today we're going to get the, the, the big picture of the book of Habakkuk. And as usual, I like to start off with questions. But let me ask you a question today. Did you know that you were made for permanent, lasting joy? Let me repeat that. That's an amazing statement when you think about that. You were made for permanent, lasting joy. All people want to be happy, right? Uh, there might be a few weird people out there. You ask them, uh, you know, do you, do you like being miserable? And they might, they might say yes. There might be a few weird ones out there. But uh, anybody want to raise their hand today and say, I love being miserable. I enjoy pain and suffering and affliction and all those, those good things. Nobody? Okay, I didn't think so. Well, that just proves my, what, I'm, what I'm saying here, that we, we like to be happy. All people like to be happy. And it's interesting to note that we, we look for happiness in, in different ways. We don't all do it the same way, do we? For example, some people try to find happiness by, by serving other people. You know, they're, they're just constantly serving other people, and in the process it takes, it takes uh, you know, their mind off uh, the, the hardships of life. Just by serving other people, it, it, just, it gives them the buzz that they need. Some people try to find happiness by losing weight. I mean, just look at the TV shows today. <laughs> I mean, like Big Loser, for example. Uh, that'll give you an idea how many people in our world today are, they, they, they think, hey, you know, you know, I just lose 10 kilos or 20 kilos or whatever, you know, and that'll make me happy. Some people try to find happiness in food. I mean, how many, how many TV shows today and, and magazines and stuff talk about food? You watch, you know, like New Zealand MasterChef and these kind of shows, and, and these people, they're, they're, just, they're consumed by food, and they think, you know, you know my, my job is, you know, it, it's a hopeless job, it doesn't make me happy, and I think, you know, they, they think they win MasterChef, and, you know, that's going to change their world, and, and they'll be happy now. Or uh, some people try to find happiness in their work. They're consumed by their work, you know, they work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and, and, and they're just driven by that, and it's... And it's, it's like their drug. Some people try to find happiness in psychotherapy. You know, they, they believe that some kind of a new way of thinking is, is going to fix them so that they'll be happy. Some people try to find happiness in money, right? Why do people buy lottery tickets? Why do people gamble? A lot of it is they, they think, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite as happy as I want to be, so, you know, if I win lottery, you know, it's going to make me happy. By the way... There's a large percentage of people who win lottery, commit suicide. It doesn't make them happy. It's not a lasting, permanent joy. And then some people try to find happiness in books. I mean, I had a friend, a couple of friends, they, uh, when, when I <laughs> had my secular job, they tried, to, they tried to get me to read that book, The Secret. They, hey, hey, th- here's the secret you've been looking for. No, it isn't. <laughs> I already have the secret. It's not a secret. It's, his name's Jesus Christ. You know, there, there's all kinds of books out there. There's, there's a lady uh, who wrote uh, this book called, entitled, When Am I Going to Be Happy? Oh, there's heaps of books out there. You want to get rich? Write a book and tell people how to be happy. And it'll probably sell. In, in her book, she promises this. She makes amazing promises, in fact. She, 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 she promises to teach you how to learn to change the emotional bad habits that make you unhappy. That's the secret, according to her. Uh, More specifically, here's what you're going to learn. I put five things up here. Number one, recognize your own emotional bad habits. By the way, I don't believe this book, in case you're wondering. But anyway, it's interesting. It gives you an idea of what's going on in our world today. Number two, she says, throw off your security blanket. She thinks everybody has these security blankets that are hindering them. Anyway, number three, talk tenderly to yourself and increase your self-esteem. Number four, get rid of the imposter phenomenon. And by that, get rid of the imposter phenomenon. She, she says, we, uh, we tend to devalue ourselves. And so she says, stop devaluing yourself. And number five, accept praise and cease being your own worst critic. So for her, that's the, that is the secret. How are you going to be happy? Just do those five things and you'll be happy. Well, of course, most people do, don't... Um, don't reach for a book when they want to increase their happiness, do they? A lot of people don't even, you know, they don't enjoy reading. 
Well, what, what do they do? Those who don't look for a, a book like this, what, what are they going to do? Well, they'll, they'll turn to some prescription drug or, you know, or some, for some people it's the remote. You know, I'm, oh, I'm depressed, so I'll turn on the TV. Or for some people it's the credit card, you know. Go do some retail therapy, right? And that'll fix, you know, that'll make me happy. Uh, for some people it's a new job, you know. Like, I've got friends, they, in, in, you know, they, in the last four years they've had four different jobs. And they think, you know, this job's not making me happy, so there's a problem with this job, so I need to move to the next one. That job doesn't make them happy. I move. The problem isn't the job. What are they looking for for happiness? That's the problem. Well, some people turn to the bottle, you know. I can't get rid of my problems, so I'll just make myself so drunk that you don't know anything. Well, then there's some people, you know, it's, oh, you know, I, I know what's going to make me happy. I need a boyfriend or a new husband or a new, new girlfriend or wife and, and, and that'll make me happy. Well, what's the reality? What is reality? The reality is no amount of, of different friends or better habits or, or a different person, a new job, or any of that sort of stuff will finally deliver the happiness to us that we're craving for. These things, oh yeah, they, they might uh, mute our concerns. They might distract us from our emptiness or even give us a, a temporary substitute, but they're not lasting and they're not permanent. They're not going to provide that, that kind of permanent, lasting joy that we all crave. By the way, that's lasting, permanent joy, I remind you, is what you were made for. It's what you were made for. So, we asked the question today, how can I be happy? How can you be happy? And that's the question we're going to turn to in our study of Habakkuk. And now this book speaks with clarity on this subject. And I'm going to ask three questions from this book and answer those questions from this book today. And hopefully you can walk out of here being encouraged and, and, and knowing where to find permanent, lasting joy and happiness. The first question coming from the book of Habakkuk is this. How can I be happy when it seems that God does not care? How can I be happy when it seems that God does not care? Well, at the beginning of his book, I want you to look what Habakkuk writes here. This is how he starts it. Habakkuk chapter 1. Let's start in verse 1. Let's start right at the beginning. It says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Let me just say this before we read verse 2. that, that there, There's this dialogue in the first couple of chapters, okay? Habakkuk's making these pleas, these prayers, these laments to God, and then, and then you see God respond in here, and then, and then Habakkuk makes another lament and a cry and a, and a prayer to God, and God responds again in chapter 2. And, and then at the end of the book, we're going to see, see how Habakkuk kind of summarizes things and, and how he, he ends up being a changed man, if you will, by the, by the time the book ends. But anyway, let's start at verse 2 here. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Let's stop there. Uh, that's not a... That, that might sound a bit like um, maybe a prayer you've made sometime in your life, or maybe even you're thinking right now in your heart. So that's how the book starts. Let's see how God replies to Habakkuk's plea, starting in verse 5. That was Habakkuk's plea. This is God's response in verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I, that's God speaking, God will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. By the way, that's another name for the Babylonians. Chaldeans are the Babylonians. A bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their charges charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. 
Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes, and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. So here we have in this passage, we'll stop there, but uh, Habakkuk essentially asks God a question. And the question is essentially, I'll I'll put it in my own words, how can I be happy when it seems that you don't care? How can you be happy when it seems that God doesn't care? He wonders, or he's, maybe you could even say he's complaining here of why God would tolerate so much injustice in the nation of Judah. Remember, the northern kingdom's gone. It, it, it was ransacked and conquered and destroyed by the Assyrians. So Judah's the only one left at this time. And in verse 3, he asks that question, why do you tolerate wrong? He's speaking to God. Why do you tolerate wrong? You ever ask that question? I do all the time. I mean, I, I, I get so irritated all the time. I see a magazine, and, I, and I'm yelling at the magazine. You know, something on TV, I'm yelling at the TV. I see a billboard that says, in the beginning, man created God, and I get irritated at the new atheist. You know? And then I see Hell's Pizza. You know, they got these stupid ads, uh, you know, the, the, the hot cross buns, you know, for a limited time, just like Jesus. You know, and I get so irritated, and I write to, you know, advertising boards. and, uh, oh, Why does this stuff seem to succeed? Why does God tolerate wrong? What's going on here? Habakkuk had taken a, a few correct facts here. He had drawn some faulty conclusions from those facts. Now, we often do the same thing, by the way, lest you start pointing your finger at Habakkuk and you say, you idiot, what, what are you thinking? We do the same thing. We draw faulty conclusions from a few things. We don't have the, 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 the whole thing. May I remind you that God's ways are not your ways, and his thoughts are not your thoughts. Fortunately, though, God answered Habakkuk here. <laughs> he didn't just leave him hanging out there in midair. He, he tells him what he does not tolerate, and the thing he doesn't tolerate is sin. He doesn't, he doesn't tolerate the wrong. In fact, God tells him, I will execute justice against the wrongdoing in the nation of Judah. They're not going to get away with it. Yet a surprising There's a surprise here, (laughs) in case you've missed it. The the surprise that is attached to God's reply is this, that God would punish the nation of Judah through the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. I've given you a picture of Jerusalem's destruction here because, remember, it was King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians who who came and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the walls and the temple and, and took exiles off back to Babylon, Daniel being one of those. I mean, you see a picture like this and you think about what the Chaldeans or the Babylonians did and you say, what? You've got to be kidding. Uh, God, are you serious? That's probably what Habakkuk is thinking. God, are you serious? I- I'm asking you to deal with the Judeans here. They're sinful people. There's wrongs going on. You need to deal with that. But you're going to send the Babylonians to deal with it? You've got to be kidding. He, by the way, God was serious. <laughs> he was very serious. And, and we see here that Habakkuk was amazed. After all, you have to remember, he's prophesying between the years, as best as I can tell, 620 to 610 B.C., which is right around the time that Babylon would have taken over um, as one of the world's greatest powers. It was just a couple decades before Babylon came and sacked Jerusalem. The Babylonians, by the way, were not models of moral virtue. You can read, I mean, that's, that's one reason why God's mentioning some of these things here. Talking about the speed of their army and their horses and chariots and cavalry and these sort of things. They were not models of virtue. They were not more righteous than the Judeans. Okay? That's not why God used them. So, God would use them, though, as his ministers of justice. Which is, which is surprising, isn't it? That God would use people more sinful, if you will, more violent, more destructive than his people. 
the ba- Babylon would be employed to punish the wrongs of God's chosen people is an, is an amazing statement here. So, God tells Habakkuk, punishment is coming. Not from the place that he thought it would come from, though. Babylon would conquer Judah and, in fact, carried many of its people into exile. Uh, those who were left alive were usually taken into exile. But what about you? What about you? Particularly those of you who um, have never put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Do you adopt a cynical attitude when things don't go well? Do you? How do you respond when things don't go the way you want them to? Have the difficulties of this world and your life caused you to conclude, well, if there is a God, I don't think He cares. Have you developed that kind of an attitude? Many people have. If there is a God, then, then he, he, he doesn't really care about the, the intimate details of my life. Otherwise, this wouldn't have happened to me. Well, if, if you've developed that kind of an attitude, you need to learn from this ancient book here that God does care. He does care. And He will judge sin. He will punish all of the wrongs that others have done against you. There is nothing that happens in your life that God doesn't notice and doesn't care. And those people who sin against you, they're not going to get away with it. And those of us who are Christians, we need to know that the answer to Habakkuk's charge against God, which is, why do you tolerate wrong? Well, we need to know the answer. Why does God tolerate wrong? Well, one reason is because God is long-suffering. And you can be thankful for that. I am. Because I didn't accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior the first time I heard the gospel. Did you? Most people don't. And then even after we're Christians, we continue to sin against God. You can be thankful that He is long-suffering. But here's the truth. God does not tolerate wrong. He never tolerates wrong. He never has. He never will. Instead... He, is, he, he, he waited for the appointed time to send His Son, Jesus Christ. If you think that God tolerates wrong, look to His Son. Look to the work of His Son. And you will see that, that God came Himself in Christ. He showed His commitment to justice through His Son. Christ suffered and died on the cross because God was very serious about not tolerating wrong. That is the clearest example I can show you of the truth. He does not tolerate wrong. He does not want justice to be perverted. For you, my Christian friend, why are you unhappy? Why why are we unhappy? The 20th century pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he preached a series of sermons one time on spiritual depression. Uh, I have the book that came from his sermons. I found it quite helpful in some respects. And, and one little line that I, I, I try to remind myself often is, is very helpful. But, but anyway, here, here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Quote, it's on the screen. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Do you understand what Martin Lane Jones is saying? Because that, that is great advice. That is some of the best advice anybody's ever given me. Uh, those of you who've gone through the series of Noisy Soul, you, you, you've already heard this before. If you haven't gone through the series of Noisy Soul, come and talk to me. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to help you out. But what, what we need to do, folks, is this. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. See, every one of us are good at meditation. Every one of us. We all know how to meditate. The question is, what is the content of our meditation? And Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying, when you have the wrong content, you're meditating on the wrong content, you're listening to yourself, and you will have a noisy soul. You will not be happy. But when the right content of your meditation is taking place, and you're preaching the gospel to yourself, then you will be happy. Do you understand that? That is a powerful truth. It is, it is a helpful truth. Now, what are, Anyway, we, we, we could talk a long time about that. But we need to meditate. God 
tells us to meditate, and we need to have the right content of our meditation. But anyway, what have we learned so far here? Okay, let's move on. So far we've learned that God will not tolerate wrong. He will not tolerate sin. And so he, he taught Habakkuk that he could trust him. He taught him that God is faithful and that we can rely upon him. So that was the first question. Let's move on to the second question. Here's the second question. How can I be happy when God's care is so strange? <laughs> you ever wondered that? I mean, I mean, I know that God loves me, right? I know that he cares for me. But sometimes I've got to ask the question, I mean, wait a minute. This is not how I would love myself. You ever asked yourself that? Wait a minute. That's not how I want to be loved. What are you doing? <laughs> right? A bit like Job. You remember Job, Job asked like uh, at least 16 times, why? He just, he just didn't understand what was happening. We're often like that. But the methods God said he would use to answer Judah's sin were, were unexpected. They were so unexpected and so difficult to conceive that, that God's answer really left Habakkuk almost more troubled than he was when he started. That ever happened to you? God, God answers a prayer. He, he shows you something from Scripture, and you're, you're more bothered by God's answer than you were before you, you, know, you were asking the, you know, asking the question. Happens to me all the time. But anyway, God says he's going to sort out the injustice. I'm going to deal with it. And then he chooses the most unjust people, the Babylonians, <laughs> to do it. Now, how does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Now, I want you to look at Habakkuk's words here. Okay? Don't take my words for it. Look what Habakkuk says here, starting in verse 12. Verse 12. Now, he, he, remember, he's, he's pleading, he's praying to God, he's lamenting, crying out to God. And in verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea? like creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Let's stop there. <laughs> wow. I mean, that, that was Habakkuk's reply to God's words in chapter 1. And he's basically saying to God, Are you serious? The Babylonians? That's your response, your reply to, to my prayer to deal with the sin in my nation? You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, you think about this. This would be, this would be a, a bit like us, you know, us complaining to God about the ads from Hell's Pizza and the New Atheist and all the rubbish that takes place in our government. You know, complaining to God about all that sin... And then God sending communist China to deal with, with New Zealand's sins. Nothing against, I hope you're not a fan of communists, by the way, Joe. But um, that, that's what it would be like. That's about the closest thing I can come to. You know, praying to God, deal with our government and all these other businesses. And then communist China invades and takes over New Zealand. Is that what you would expect God to do? But that's kind of like what happened here. That's what God is telling him. I want you to see how God graciously responds to Habakkuk. Look at, um, here's God's response, starting in verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, 
But at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, and it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home, because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death, and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations, and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him, and a taunting riddle against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his? How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppresses you, and you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it, woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul, for the stone will cry out from the wall. And the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, Awake! To silent stone, Arise! It shall teach! Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath of all. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Amen. What a great way to end the chapter. Well, basically, if we were to summarize this conversation going on between between God and Habakkuk here, here's how it would go, basically, so far. It would kind of sound something like this. I mean, Habakkuk begins the book by saying, God, why don't you care about all of the wrong your chosen people are doing? Why? Why don't you do something about it? And then God responds, Habakkuk, I do care. I do care. And I will do something. And and I've given you a picture here of uh, the Babylonians leading uh, the Judeans into exile. And God says, I am going to send the Babylonians... To which Habakkuk replies, the Babylonians? Don't you know they live more wickedly than we do? How can you use them to judge your chosen people? And God's final response, which we just read, is essentially this. I know what the Babylonians are like. May I remind you, by the way, God knows everything. God knew exactly what they were like. After all, he... he, he ha- After all, I have used them, God says, to judge Judah, and I will judge them too. They're not going to get away with it. God also told Habakkuk that his judgment would come on his own timetable. On his own timetable. And so he ends by saying, let all the earth keep silence before him. Well, if you're not used to reading or studying the Bible, let me just simply ask you, What are you spending your life doing? 
What are you spending your life doing? You're spending it on something. We, we all spend our lives on something. But does your life sound a little bit like the Babylonians? Are you trusting yourself rather than God? Because that was the problem. Remember, the, we, we see them making these idols, and, and, and they tell the idols to awake and teach. But in the end, you do not want to be among those people who oppose Jesus Christ. You don't. You don't want to be there. Read the book of Revelation. You find out what happens to them. It's not, it's not a good end. Instead, my friend, you need to be amongst God's people, the church. Become a part of it if you're not already. My Christian friend, we've read that God uses surprising means here to accomplish His ends, to accomplish His goals and purposes. Our God certainly does move in mysterious ways, as William Cowper uh, wrote about in that song. He certainly does. We must be silent before him. As verse 20 said, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's not our place to complain, to whine and whinge and, 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 and do that sort of thing about what God is doing in his universe. Or God moves in mysterious ways. And so we need to be silent and listen in order to learn what he, he is telling us about himself. It's very easy for us to miss God talking when we're talking, right? We're complaining away. and God just says, shut up, sit down, be still. So God uses the Babylonians. But God's use of the Babylonians is, is a warning to us in a way. God warns us against becoming complacent among our successes of life. Sometimes we're successful and uh, God may for a time grant uh, you or another individual or a group or, or, or even a nation some degree of worldly success. But you know what? Judgment Day is coming. It's coming. And so the very one that God grants success sometimes will find themselves having a huge fall, if you will. Now here is a great truth, that God can use anyone. God can use any. He can even use false prophets. He can use hypocritical preachers. He can use uh, uh, horrible nations like Babylon. He, he can even use Satan, and he has used Satan. But God is, is so sovereign that the Bible says that he can even use the wrath of man to bring him praise. So when, when things seem to be out of control and mysterious things are happening, remember God is in control. He hasn't lost control he is still on the throne, as verse 20 reminds us. The Lord is in his holy temple. So my friend, do you believe the world's lies about sin being the way to happiness? Oh, there's plenty of lies out there. That's what advertisements are for, right? Everywhere you go, you see these false advertisements trying to, trying to think you, you need something that you don't need or you, you, you want something that uh, you, you hadn't thought of. But man, once you see the advertisement, you want it, right? And sometimes these things are sinful, and sometimes they look good. Satan's good at, at, at taking something that's sinful and making it look good and, and thinking, that's going to make me happy. But may I remind you, the Bible says that sin is only pleasurable for a season. It's only pleasurable for a little while. It doesn't bring permanent, lasting joy and happiness. It never does. Now, here's your task. Here's your task. Uh, just think about these four things, okay? Okay. Uh, Here's your, your homework for this week, okay? Number one, identify the ways in which you have believed the world's lies about the path to happiness. Identify those, those ways, okay? There's heaps of them. It's very easy for us to get caught up thinking like the world. God says we're not to be conformed to the world. Number two, oppose those lies with all your might. Oppose them. Don't give in to them. Oppose them. Number three, defeat sin with superior pleasure. Now, that's not original with me. Uh, I learned that from other people over the years. But the, the way you defeat sin is not just by forsaking the sin. You understand that, I hope. There is the biblical principle of replacement. You must replace the thing you try to forsake with something that is more powerful. Otherwise, you're just going to keep doing the sin. So you defeat sin with a superior pleasure. Okay. Uh, anyway, you, you think of the superior pleasures, okay? Heaven, Jesus Christ, you know, the list goes on. But uh, then, then number four, let other people help you. 
That's one reason God has designed the church, so that we're not alone, that we can help one another, we can hold one another accountable. We can, as James says, confess your sins to one another. Can we just be real instead of fake sometimes and think that, uh, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm perfect, I don't need any help, and, and I'm just, I'm just going to come across as if I'm the perfect Christian. You're not, I'm not. Can we just get real and, and admit that we're sinners and we're all sinners and we need help and we need to help each other? It would make a huge difference if we, if we were just real. So don't try it alone. It, it, it doesn't work too well. And the last question is this. We'll end with this one. But how can I be happy under any circumstances? You say, is that possible? Can I be happy under any circumstances? Is that possible? <laughs> well, it is. We'll, we'll read about that here in just a moment. But again, Habakkuk has this conversation with God and in, in, I remind you, in chapters 1 and 2, and then Habakkuk turns in chapter 3 to help us answer this very important question. And by the way, the answer to that question, how can I be happy under any circumstances, is it's only in God. Only in God. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Verse 2 says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand and there His power was hidden. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. Their perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O oh Lord, you, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear... You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people. For salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. You thrust through with, with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to, be, uh, to scatter me. The rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines... Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on my high heels. Let's stop there. What a great way to end the book, isn't it? So you can see Habakkuk's come a long way since chapter 1, his, his complaining in chapter 1 here. In fact, uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 18 in chapter 3 there, you see the words rejoicing and joy. He's talking about this rejoicing and joy. So he, he clearly confesses his joy is in God alone. How is that possible? How is that possible when verse 17 there mentions such bad circumstances. How can I be happy under these kind of circumstances? By the way, 
we need to understand that the products and the resources mentioned in verse 17 there were vital to Israel's economy. The figs and the olives and, these, and the cattle and these sort of things were vital to their economy. In addition, the fig tree and the vine had spiritual significance. If those things were doing well, that meant God were, was blessing them. And by the way, since most of you are like me, you're a city slicker, and we have a hard time understanding the agricultural language that sometimes takes place in the Bible, I've, I reworded verse 17, okay? Uh, I've rephrased it to, to match our experiences that we have here in New Zealand, okay? I put it on the screen. Uh, I, I hope this helps. I hope you find it helpful. It was for me to think about this anyway. So think, think of verse 17 like this. Though all the dairy factories shut down, and there is no milk on the farms, though the tourists stop coming, and the businesses make no money, though there are no trees on the ships, and no food on the shelves. Then look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I hope that helps. I'm not trying to be disrespectful or anything to God's word, but, but that, that's, that's, that's the equivalent of New Zealand in modern-day language, okay? If, if that happened right there, New Zealand's economy is destroyed, and we're, we, we don't have any money. We can't buy and sell anything. <laughs> well, that's true. But that, that's, that's the point, okay? That's the point. And so, uh, my rendition of verse 17, if it was true, New Zealand would, would collapse. Now, what's the solution? Verse 19. <laughs> verse 19 is, gives us the solution. And the solution is to trust that God knows best. That's the first part of it. God knows best, and God will bring about justice. He will. He always does. He does all things, by the way. Why does God do all things? Everything has two purposes. God does it either for your good or His glory or both. All things. And the good news is that God gives me so much confidence, as, as verse 19 talks about, that, that you and I can live on the heights. And we can, we can have sure footing, if you will. In, in the illustration, there's like a deer's feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a deer in the wild, okay? I go hunting, all right? And, and, I, and I'm amazed where deer go. I mean, they... They go places that I can't. I try to follow them sometimes and try to shoot them. And, they, and I can't even follow them the places they go. Their feet are much more, are better suited for the places they go than mine. Believe it or not, their feet are better than ours. And they're, and they're secure and they're solid. And they can, they can run across slips and cliffs and go places that you and I couldn't possibly go without killing ourselves. Now, I've given you a picture of a tar here. A tar is not a deer, Okay. But I hope you're familiar with the tar. They live down in the Southern Alps, and they, they live way up in the mountains in these very dangerous places, inhospitable places, and they run around the cliffs, and they never, hardly ever get hurt. They're so, they're so sure-footed. How is that possible? God made them that way. And that's why God is using this illustration in verse 9. He will make me walk on my high hills. He will make my feet like deer's feet, or tar's feet, <laughs> Right? It's amazing where they can go. That's what God does for us. So my friend, I have a question for you. Can you be happy under any circumstances? Can you be happy if, if you, know, you're, you have no money in your wallet, no money in your bank account, you lose your house, you, you, you know, if, if your whole world falls apart around you, can you still be happy? Can you? Or is there some set of circumstances that is so important in your life that you cannot be happy without them? Well, think about that. I'll put that question up there for you. Because that's a good question to reevaluate and, and recheck ourselves. Because once you've answered that question right there, you will have found your God. Do you hear me? The answer to that question is your God. If you find that God is more than enough, no matter if life circumstances fall apart around you like they were in, uh, for Habakkuk, and you find your hope and your, your comfort and your happiness, your joy in God, then He's your God. But if you think, you know, you know like the, these people in the midst of a recession, <laughs> there were people in New York City who were jumping out of buildings. 
and they find that their bank accounts and their retirement funds are gone. They no longer exist. Well, what they, that's their happiness. And so they jump out of the building and kill themselves. What's their God? Well, ultimately, they're worshiping themselves because money supposedly makes them happy, and when they no longer have that money, then they don't feel like they have a reason to live, and they're depressed, and so they kill themselves. You, you see what happens? So ultimately, themselves was the God. The money, the money was the means to worshiping their God. So the answer to that question, you, you will find your God. So where is your happiness? Well, if it's held hostage by circumstances, I promise you, you are never going to find permanent joy and happiness from, apart from trusting in Jesus Christ. That's why we sang that song, Trusting, Trust and Obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. By the way, that's why you're alive. The, reason, the whole reason you exist, the whole reason you're still breathing in air today, It's for the glory of God. And so our lives are, are for the purpose of bringing Him glory, to give the right opinion of Him to the world around us. And when we stop doing that, there's no reason for us to live. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I ask the question here, are you rebelling against God? If you're putting your hope and your trust and your, your, if you've made your God something else other than him, God Himself then you're rebelling against Him. And so every time you and I do something wrong, we're saying to God, you know, God, I just want to run my life the way I want to run my life, get out of my life, and leave me alone. That's rebellion. But that's what sin is. (laughs) Sin is just saying, you know, God, I don't love you with all. I want to love something else. That's sin. God could rightly condemn all of us for that sin. But instead, what did he do? He came in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life that you should have lived, died the perfect death you should have died, died on the cross, became a substitute for sin. He bore God's just wrath, by the way, on everybody who would ever turn and repent of their sin. And you know what? He didn't stay dead. He rose again, which shows us that God accepted his sacrifice for sin. Well... The reality is, my friend, that sin chokes us sometimes. We, we, we think sin is going to bring us permanent, lasting joy, but the reality is it's not. It's, it, it only lasts for a season, and, and it chokes us. It chokes us with that pleasure. And sometimes it even enslaves people, and they think they can turn to the, to the bottle or the drug or, you know, or, or the person, and, and that, that person chokes them and enslaves them, and, and they don't, they're not actually free. They're not actually happy. In fact, uh, look what the Apostle Paul said to Titus here in Titus 3, verse 3. He said, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Oh, so many people are like this, aren't they? They they think these other things are going to make them happy and bring them joy, and they don't, and it actually enslaves them. And the world and Satan, by the way, will never tell you that pleasures can be enslaving. They don't do that. Satan doesn't want you to know that. (laughs) The world doesn't want you to know that. It's not in their best interest to let this news get out to you. But praise God, the Bible does tell us that there are happinesses that, that can actually take away the liberty for us to know and love God. What happens when someone's drunk, for example? You ever tried witnessing to a drunk? Someone who's drunk? Have you? They need Jesus Christ to free them from their sin. But they're so drunk, they can't even, they, they can't even really hear you and understand the gospel. That so-called happiness, pleasure, makes it so they can't even know the God who loves them and cares for them. And so the Apostle James, he warned us about such selfish desires and pleasure. Look what he said in James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 
You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Why? Look at the answer. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. By the way, God doesn't always answer prayer with a yes. Okay? And one of the reasons is, one reason God doesn't always answer your prayer and give you what you've asked for is because sometimes we ask with the wrong motives. Well, I've got some good news for you. Let's end with this, all right? That Christ can free us from the, the pleasures that are temporary and wrong. He can lead you to the pleasures everlasting, by the way, which is the pleasure of knowing Him. <laughs> that is the pleasure of everlasting. And He can lead you to joy, by the way, which is only found in the Holy Spirit. Read Galatians 5. What are the, the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, number two. So you want everlasting, permanent, lasting joy? It, it, well, number one, you have to become a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit does not indwell unbelievers. So are you a believer? Are you walking in the Spirit so you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Well, if that is the happiness you are looking for, if you're looking for that permanent, lasting joy, then you need to find your sins, be merciless and ruthless with those sins, <laughs> don't, don't coddle them, don't comfort them, don't protect them, thinking, hey, the, these sins, you know, they're, they're going to make me happy. No, they won't. You need to forsake those sins. You need to repent of those sins. You, you need to change your mind in regards to how you view sin. And think of them how, as God views sin and then trust in Christ's death on the cross. Oh, here, what have we just done? We've, we, again, we've come back to the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your sin. Don't think any circumstances or any of those things are going to make you ultimately, permanently, lasting, give you joy and that kind of happiness, because it won't. It won't. Happiness is found in a person. Do you understand it? It's found in a person. And it's not a boyfriend. It's not a girlfriend. It's not your spouse. It's not your children or any, any other person. It's only Jesus Christ. So if you've been longing to be happy, if you've been longing and craving for true joy, the good news is it's Jesus. You've been looking in the wrong places probably, though, haven't you? We often do. We often do. We think, you know, even those of us who are Christians like me, we, we think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence when it's not. <laughs> we, we, think, we think something else more, you know, we just add something to Jesus, you know, it'll make, us, it'll make us more happy, and it doesn't. It doesn't, my friend. So look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Amen. Let's pray.